Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to fascinating, amazing, creative and very funny, unique characters who will make comedians like you and me live life on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, but most importantly, give us a five-star review rating on Amazon or iTunes. Spread the love. And also, feel free to get in contact and let me know your thoughts. Now, today's guest is Darren Matthews. He is a comedian from Northern Ireland. He is a man who plays Gaelic football. He's a man who's traveled across the world, Thailand, Malaysia, and he is a comedy storm on the Northern Ireland scene. Please say hello to Darren. That was very nice. That was lovely. Thank you very much. That, that, that's a better intro than you get off most MCs, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. I, I mean... uh, next up, let me just get the sheet of paper out of my pocket because I forgot his fucking name. Uh, next up is, uh, is, is that Darren? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, sometimes people use their little feuds or whatever and they say, oh, here's the next act. He's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> Or they go, oh, here's the here's the next act. Da, 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 da. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, as you say, forgotten their names. Or they'll say something. There's one guy in London who I won't say the name of, but he's known for causing offence. And he was, if someone was Indian, he would just say, oh, hello. Here, the next act is Papadon. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, I would be I would mostly be worried about doing lots of gigs in London because obviously, coming from a 99% white population, the names are usually pretty easy to. Yeah, to say you know you guys are a complete culture melting pot people from all over the planet and i if i was mc and i'd be sweating i'd be going around everyone going please tell me how to say your name because as a straight white male in my 30s i can't keep fucking this up so you gotta help me oh it's the same with i, I remember when i was talking to a, f- a female audience member she had one of those long um African names that I kept on getting wrong and i just had to ask the i i asked her to say it twice but then i just didn't bother talking to her because I was going to get it wrong. Yeah, no, that happens. I mean, I, I've done gigs where where you think, oh, that's a that's a funny name or that's hard to pronounce. It's it's the exact same in other parts of the world. Like I, I've been in Asia and people have said, "What's your name?" And I go, "Darren," and they go, huh, "That sounds funny." I'm like, "Oh, okay." It's actually it's actually very boring where I'm from, but thanks thanks very much. <laughs> well, I mean, you you gigged in a lot of sort of Asian countries, isn't it? And there's there's from what I came of in Thailand, it's mostly just white, but in sort of Malaysia, it's mostly all Asian, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the audiences vary. It depends where you, because you're doing English language uh, comedy clubs. So you're, you're in places like, some of them are very culturally mixed, Singapore. Um, Malaysia was brilliant, actually. Uh, a place called, I was in Kuala Lumpur in a place called the Crack House Comedy Club. Uh, folks, yeah. if you're ever even on your holidays, just pop in and see it. It's like a, it's a proper old school brick wall behind you a comedy club it's really modeled on the you know like the 80s new york style of thing and it's it's really cool man i did a, a weekend there i was really well looked after the the other acts that were on were amazing you i mean you think you're doing a good job in comedy and then you gig with a bunch of people who speak english as their second language and they know they understand the language so well they can be funny as well you know like you learn to speak french in school but you can't tell a joke in french yeah you go to asia and all these people are I did, I gigged with a couple of guys in Bali and they were like, oh, you know, that was okay. But, you know, your stuff was good. And I was like, no, guys, give yourselves a lot more respect than you're giving my stuff. I was like, you were gigging in a second language. That is so incredible. So it, it was, um, 
it was great to see, man. And then going to places like, I mean, getting the getting the gig in places where they're, you get to feel like an actual comedian where people are like, we're going to pay for you to stay in this hotel, do this show. Then we're going to fly you to the next show. Uh, it was amazing. I got to do places like Vietnam and um, I was in Cambodia where I just, or, I was chatting to a guy in a bar and he organized a pop-up gig for me. He was like, he's like, I'll just put in my social media. You're going to be doing a show here in two days. There's a room upstairs. I'll get you a PA system. Uh, I'll give you a cut of the drink sale and I'll just take you all the, give you all the door. And it was great. I gave a gig to like 30 people in CM Reap in Cambodia where I was just like, where are you from? And I just crowd worked the, the people. It was great. And then I got to live in places like Australia and New Zealand and do shows over there where thankfully, even if I tell a joke and it's probably not that funny because I'm Irish to them, it sounds funny. So that's fine. I'm okay with that as well. It's that, it's that a thing though, isn't it? Because with, with Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain, well, especially the English, Irish, Northern Irish and English, when we go to places like America or Australia, and perhaps other countries, they, they look at us like some sort of, like, I don't know, lab rat or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, for them, it's a, it's probably a weird experience because a lot of those people, I mean, Americans and Canadians, I lived in Canada, a lot of those people, their ancestors came from where we're from. So they have, they have some knowledge of it, but it's, you know, filtered down through generations of, you know, stories and, and bullshit and things people have forgotten and you know it's it's not like we always emigrate and bring the best parts of us with us you know sometimes we we bring our our bullshit and our racism and our our you know what why we left the country in the first place whereas it would be better if we just brought you know arts music culture and brought it around the world you know like positives but it, it's human nature we, we can't always do that but yeah i know what you're saying it, it's sometimes people are looking at you and it's just like the funny little noises coming out of your head because it's different to them yeah, it's 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 funny because I got called like an Asian Hugh Grant, and you must have been called a funny name as well. And thoughts. You got called. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! I totally see that. Um, I, I, no, I, I didn't get called any funny names. I got. Um, I mean, culturally, di cultural differences because I, because I'm so pale. I am I am very Irish. I, I've got red hair and really pale skin. Uh, culturally, in parts of Asia, that people think that you're rich, because the the way that works is poor people would work in the fields, so they would be quite dark skinned from from the sun, whereas the rich obviously are very very pale. So in the UK, people are using spray tan and sun embeds. You go over to Asia where people have lovely dark skin and they're bleaching themselves to look more like us. Nobody knows what the fuck they want. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a bit mad also. In some parts of in the UK, you're getting other minority groups who are bleaching their skin, like you said then. It's a bit like, come on, man, fucking hell, what's, what's the difference? Like, why do you need to change skin colour? Well, I mean, that's obviously either the, the culture they, they're trying to obtain or the, just the way the world works. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's probably, probably just a bit easier to be white. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. Uh, I didn't make the rules. I just showed up here. This is what happened. I'm sorry. Each, each... But, yeah, but I mean, I, I, ha I have entire bits of material about, I used to do a bit in Australia where I used to talk about, you know, I'm not actually, I'm not white, I'm Irish, which is a whole other, it was like, we, we were like the, if you think about like the British Empire who went around the world doing all those terrible things, I says when you get a brand new video game and you go to that level that shows you how to play the game, that's Ireland. That's you know we're gonna 
We'll, we'll practice our uh, our warfare and and you know um, genocide and then be like, oh, that worked pretty well. Let's go do it somewhere else. So. <laughs> oh, you, you're saying is that what happened with Boston and Whitey Bulger? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Well, it's a bit that, that's even that's even scary when you go to places and you're like oh you're irish and i'm like yeah and they're like i'm irish too and you're like oh fucking hell here we go yeah this could be good what you said there is a bit like england and bloody in spain or something how they've turned that into their own fish and chips land yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah there's nothing funnier than being abroad and hearing somebody saying they don't even speak english here and you're like yep <laughs> i know do you speak any of their language you should try yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, I, it's. I mean, everywhere I go, I always try. Yeah, you can get away with five words everywhere you go in the world, no matter where it is. If you can learn yes, no, please, thank you, and beer, you'll you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, you must have a lot of material on that. Absolutely. Well, the Vietnamese word for beer is the same as the Irish word for food, so I just felt very comfortable in that country. <laughs> so, with with all your so how many countries have you traveled to as a whole? Uh, I think I'm up to 43 now, but gigging in, I've done uh, gigging's maybe about, f I think, 15 or 16, because I did a lot of travel before I was a stand-up, so. Okay, so Mostly with the, Europe. So two questions. With the, did you learn more from about a country when you gigged there than when you just visited there? And also, what was... How did each country differ? What did you notice in the humour and the way it worked there? Um, yeah, gigging there was a, a way, way more of an eye-opener because when you're, when you're just travelling, you're just kind of taking it all in and enjoying it, whereas when you're gigging there... So when I was... I was very lucky to be in places where we were, we were doing a bit of travelling, so what I would do is I would maybe get into the country a few days beforehand and then I would write material based on what I saw and then I would get, maybe go to the comedy club. So if... If I was like headliner a weekend on Friday, Saturday, I would try and get down on Wednesday or Thursday to even do like a, an open spot or 10 minutes to see if some of the stuff's going to work. Because I have, I have material I can use, but I do like to do stuff when I'm in a place. And then I'd maybe get a chat with one of the, um, I'd maybe try and get a chat with one of the local comedians and, and just make sure there's nothing that can be deemed as offensive. Like, um, depending on where you are in the world, for an example, uh, Chris Wagoda, who's the guy who runs the gig um, in Bangkok, was a really nice dude. He's he's uh, he's actually was born in London, but he's he's half Thai, half English. And I said to him, "Is there anything I can't say?" And he said, "In Thailand, you can't you can't make jokes about the king." And I was like, "Okay." And I, I just thought, "Oh, maybe it's just sort of offensive." No, it is actual. You you go to jail for joking about the king, and I didn't know that, so I could have got up on stage and there's photos of the king all over Bangkok. You know, I could have been like, "Who's the guy on the fucking buildings?" And that was game over. So it's good to do that to get into a place beforehand. I suppose it's like every comedian where you go to, it's it's the global version of getting into a new town and saying to somebody from there, here, where's the shit housing estate so I can do a joke about it? You know, that kind of thing. It's your yeah. local knowledge. It's that idea on a on a global scale. Hmm. It's a and one thing I found, I've heard from other people is that there's a mime artist that I interviewed on a podcast. I know that sounds funny, but he says he speaks to a lot of um, market store traders or taxi drivers to get an yeah. understanding of the culture. That's a, that's a really good idea. I mean, go to base level. Don't be, you know, a lot of times when you're doing these shows, some of them are in hotels and stuff like that, but that, that's not exactly... You're not really going to base level to find out about a place. So you've got you to gotta get out and actually go for a walk around the place. 
and sort of figure it out yourself, try and find the humor in, in what's going on. I mean, you, you'll have your material. So say if, like if I was doing say 40 minutes of a headliner, I'll have 20 minutes of material that can be done anywhere in the world. And then I want to, I want to find out, I want to talk to people. I want to, it's good, you know, find out where people are from, what they're doing there. So it's really nice. And did you, so you notice in Thailand effectively, yeah, <laughs> you are finished if you do jokes about the King there, but yeah. did you notice any stark differences with each nation? Um, you mean humor wise, what they're into? Yeah. Culture. yeah you can do uh culturally wise i would always try and find it because because southeast asia is so tightly packed when i was doing shows i would just i would go to some people and say like who do, who do you guys make fun of you know like um the, the english people will tell jokes about the irish you know the patty irishman jokes and i was like who do you who do you joke about so in singapore they tell jokes about malaysians and in malaysia they tell jokes about you know the rich arsehole singaporeans and i was like okay so I, I pretty much just wrote the same joke and flipped it and it worked you know that kind of thing so you're kind of find out it's it's trying to find out who who they'll identify with and what they'll laugh at without punching down because that's that's never funny it's just a wee bit it's a bit mean so it was kind of trying to work all that stuff um because you're doing audiences all over the world as well and it's english language so i mean i i did a gig in like on a like a rooftop in bali but it was there was a lot of uh, people who were balinese who spoke perfect english and they were they were a brilliant audience i could just kind of do whatever um Obviously, as well, if you're listening to this podcast, and I apologize, there's no subtitles available for my accent. I, I, everything's slower as well for just so I, I can, you know, people say, Oh, can you do a 20 minute set? I'm like, I'll just do my 10 minutes at half speed. That's fine. So that's, that's sort of what you're dealing with. But um, I'm trying to give anything massively culturally different for the sort of local crowds that come in. Not really. Everybody, I mean, comedy's comedy. It's funny or it isn't. So you, you just kind of get up and trial by fire. But I, I, I do recommend if you're going to go somewhere and say you're doing like the Friday, Saturday in the comedy club, try and find out if there's an open mic or a new material night in the same club on a Wednesday or Thursday and go do that. That was the best thing I did. The first gig in Malaysia I did was to like 10 people. Uh, they have a, a Bahasa night, which is the, the local language, but they, the people do speak English, but they, it's to let people do stand up in their own language and I said can I get up and do like five minutes and they were like yeah go for it and because everyone speaks both languages um I'm massively impressed by everywhere I go in the world where people speak more than one language I struggle with my own and obviously in Ireland we butcher English so it's uh it's it, it's strange it's, it's definitely definitely eye-opening as a comedian as well but I'd recommend everyone do it I'd love to get over and do stuff in, in uh, Europe as well I want to go do like Amsterdam and Stockholm because they've got English language comedy clubs so yeah, let's let's do more. Let's fucking get on a plane when we're allowed to and go do some. Do do, do they do they have um, Irish speaking comedy nights in Northern Ireland? In Ireland, um, there have been Irish speaking uh, comedy nights. I know one of my friends, uh, Paddy McDonald, he's done one. It's uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it because I mean my Irish isn't strong enough. I I got like a C in it in school, but. Uh, yeah, there are people who do it. There are there are still areas of Ireland where people will specifically speak Irish. They're called uh, a Gaeltacht, which is where the, the first language is Irish. But it's mostly Western. There's a bit in the southeast and then the northwest in Donegal. So um, I don't know if I don't, I don't want to say there's not an audience for it because there there are thousands of people that speak Irish. So yeah, something that could probably be looked into. I know people have done it before. Des Bishop did an entire series about trying to do a show or trying to do a like a tour in Irish, he's an um, Irish American comedian. So it does happen. I, I just haven't done one myself. 
does he gig a lot in both Ireland and America? Yeah, I think he. I think his lockdown was over in New York, where he's where he's actually from. He was born over there, but his, his mum and dad are, were both Irish. So he, uh, he, but he he moved here when he was like a teenager to go to school, and he kind of been back and forward ever since. So he would he would do a lot of TV in um, in the Republic of Ireland, and then he would do shows in Belfast when he's on tour. Mm-hmm. It's and so you you started your life. <laughs> Wait a second. Let me rephrase this. So you, you, how did um, a lot of comedians? We have stories that we say that we're the funny one, or we just fall into stand up. How did you sort of fall into stand up? Were you the class clown, or Cause... no? I I think I'm very much more definitely not the class clown. Even I mean, I've got a group of four or five core friends, and probably not even the funniest one on that. Um, I also had an interest in arts and performance. Like I, I would have done like amateur dramatics. Well, my, my mum started an amateur dramatics um, group in the, the little village I'm from. So I did that when I was a kid. Uh, I played drums in bands for years. I didn't do my first stand-up gig till I was 25. And that was one of my other mates was going to try it out. And he said, I should give it a go because I was kind of sick of playing in bands. But then of course, during lockdown this year, I went and bought a drum kit and fixed it up. So I'm completely regressing back before stand-up because everyone's all like oh you're doing loads of writing i'm like no because all my stand-up is about travel and meeting new people and doing things and i've been locked in the house for a year so i haven't done fuck all but i i ended up in stand-up um just giving it a go uh i think everyone should if there's an open mic night if you if you feel like it uh have a go but whenever i do shows as well when people come up to me and they say oh my friends say i'm really funny um they should they say i should try stand up i'm like you shouldn't because number one you've got friends and number two that's i've seen those people try and do stand up and they they don't grasp the the concept of speaking to speaking to a crowd but not speaking to anyone specific have you ever seen those people that will do shows bring their mates and they'll tell jokes about like a story that happened with their friend but they don't know how to connect it to everyone uh, i've not seen it to i've seen plenty of instances where people have gone on stage and they've just made their friends laugh at bringer nights yes but not yeah see like we don't have bringer nights here so a night is just a night and we're a much smaller scene so everything's everything's quite well organized over here there's no kind of it took us took us a little while but it sort of we, we fell into a nice groove of where the shows were and everyone kind of communicates so nothing clashes and everyone you know will promote each other and come on my podcast, do support for me. So we're actually, we're pretty good over here as well, the way we, we run things. I run two shows and I do a night in Belfast. Well, well, I will bring it back when we're allowed to called 10 for 10, which is 10 comedians doing 10 minutes and it's a 10 or in. And that, that works pretty well. So that's, we're, we're trying to get as many people stage time as you can because you want, you do want new people. We don't want to fucking, there's no point. We're a small place anyway. There's no point having four or five people doing everything so is is it just one all in um, belfast or is it all spread across no i run them um, i run a gig with a friend of mine leanne McCooey, down in the, the little city i'm from it's called nuri nuri's got a population of about forty thousand, and we run a night there once a month which is a bring your own night it's 12 quid in bring your own booze it's in her cafe she owns this lovely little cafe called McCooey's. We do a show in there and at half time there's pizza. So it's a real, real house party kind of environment. We build a little stage, you know, like the light for the stage is like a little lamp is in my living room. So it's very, very, very chilled out. I, I, I kind of like, cause 
we have the Sunflower, which is the one I run in Belfast, which is a beautiful room, you know, good lighting, good PA, very professional looking comedy club kind of thing. And then the one in my hometown is a little bit more ragtag and punk rock because I, I came from a punk background of organizing things myself and organizing shows for bands. So I just took all that knowledge, brought it into comedy. And then to save money, I know how to do the PA system. I can MC if we need to. I can jump up into a spot if one of my mates wants to MC. So it's it's good. It's a good way for me to write. Stop from being so lazy because I'm a very lazy writer. So if I'm hosting, gotta have something. Before and do you record it? Because I have that where sometimes when I'll go up on stage, talk about something, it's flaming hilarious, but then I don't record it. Yeah, that there. You bring that up with you on stage, hit record and set it beside you. Audio quality is not going to be good, but it's, you're not releasing an album on iTunes. It's for you. So record everything and take it away. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. Bring my phone with me or, you know, people people are setting up cameras at the back and stuff. And I'm like, fair play, but I wouldn't want that to get nicked at a show. So I just bring my phone with me and set it beside me. <laughs> Have you seen that happen? Uh, I haven't seen anyone's camera get nicked, but I think it's going to happen someday. You know, if, like if you don't have a mate with you to like film it for you, depends how long you're doing if you're doing like a, new, a five minute you know new open spot that's fine but i mean our open mic nights over here um i i don't know about sort of the rest of ireland but specifically in belfast where we do uh, the open mic mostly a place called the pavilion which, which is the first first show i ever did uh our open mic spots are seven minutes whereas i i heard about whenever friends would go to london and gig they're like oh yeah i've got three minutes tonight i'm like what the fuck so that's that's mental to us so we we pretty much do like 7, 10, 15, 20, 30. Whereas they're like, I need specifically 11 minutes. I'm like, ah, oh, hang on, guys. Because maybe our style in Ireland is a wee bit more conversational and stuff. And we're, we're all, we're kind of, we're sort of seen as the storytellers more so. So it, it takes us a long time to get going. Oh, okay. Because that's, that's interesting. Because in London, mostly it's five minutes. Then you rise to a 10 spot. Then it's 15. Then it's 20. And yeah. it's... I mean, that's how many people are there in the Northern Ireland scene? Would you say? Uh, we have. I mean, we have the old uh, Northern Ireland as like a Facebook group, but people who are consistently gigging, it's it's not massive. Um, you would find, yeah, fuck, I mean, we probably have less than less than thirty who are consistently on the go. It's it's mm. it's it's quite small. Well, I mean, we we have a population in the entire country of. What the city of Birmingham? It's like one point nine million in Northern Ireland. The island of Ireland is only, I think it's six point eight or nearly seven million people. Uh, we're actually because of because of the um, the the potato famine in like the nineteenth century, we're the only Western European nation that has never recovered its population. So Ireland, nearly two hundred years ago, had a bigger population than it does now, whereas most people have population growth we still haven't achieved the same population. So it's kind of weird. It's, it's a strange, sort of strange thing where there used to be 8 million people on the island and then like a million died, you know, 2 million emigrated. It's, we don't know what happened. So it's still, it's still quite small. Uh, and like Northern Ireland itself is, can be quite small and parochial. So not every town's got a gig. It, it, it could be very Belfast centric. Then you've got, you know, Derry, uh, Oma in the middle has a, has a brilliant comedy club. Uh, which is really random because it's 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 kind of another small town like me, Newry. But where I'm from is like on the way to Dublin. I'm kind of halfway between Belfast and Dublin, so that's where we put our show. And does it? How does it sort of work? If you if so, it's open mic, pro, 
you do corporate. Well, how does it work in sort of the structure of Northern Ireland? And yeah, you, no, you, yeah, you've nailed it. Same, same as same as everywhere else, man. You, you'll start open mic. Uh, you'll start getting your ped spots. I mean, I run shows and I, I try and run shows where I, I'm bringing in as many people as I can. 10 for 10 is great because it lets people do 10 minutes and I'm saying, give me your best 10 minutes, you know, because and the other thing as well is I pay everybody because I come from that kind of, like I'm a damn dirty socialist. So I want to make sure if you're performing or you have an art form, you should be paid for it. So even if it's 20 quid for 10 minutes, get everyone to do 10 minutes and then, you know, the doors, everyone gets 20 quid. It just makes it worth your while coming down. I, I hate... I don't like the the London model or and not even the London model. It happens all over the world. Maybe it's just us trying to sort of change things where we want to pay everybody, even if it's 10 minutes or if it's 20 or that's just something probably because it's we're comedians running the shows. We do we don't like I'm a like I'm a, somebody who knows how to run a show from playing in bands, but I want to make sure everyone gets paid. So if you perform for me. I don't like doing free spots. I'm trying to think of, a, I don't want to say I've never done it because I probably have if somebody's like, can I just jump up? That's fine. But no, it's, it'd be the same idea. There's there's um, your new material nights, which are still very important. You just got to go and, you know, bleed yourself dry. And then there's there'd be paid shows and there are corporates as well, but they're sort of a bit fewer. You might do a bit of after dinners at a wedding and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got theater tours. There's a couple of guys over here who are doing the arena in Belfast, which is brilliant. Some of the, some of the guys have got to that point, um, maybe from an online content, but it's, it's quite weird because people can do two nights in an arena in Belfast and then we, we could go over to England and no one would know who the fuck we are. So, so who, who, who are sort of the big two questions from here? Like how does the Northern Ireland and Ireland scene sort of interact with one, one another? And who are, who are people that have really who are the big cheese in Northern Ireland? Um, the guys that are doing the arena stuff at the minute would be guys like Colin Geddes, Shane Todd, Mickey Bartlett, um, Paddy McDonnell. So these are all guys who would do the would still do the clubs. Like Colin Geddes does that, but he also runs Lavery's Comedy Club. Um, like Mickey Bartlett's doing the Ulster Hall, two nights, like 1,200 seaters. So the boys are doing theatres and stuff, and it's off the back of... Probably, I mean, it's a social media thing as well. The guys have got podcasts and they're releasing sketches and it's a it's a constant reminder that they're there and then they'll go and do that. As uh, a guy started only a couple of years ago, Paddy Raff, he ended up with a show on BBC doing nights in the Odyssey Arena. But that's BBC Northern Ireland, so you're not going to see it over in London. You know that kind of way? Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I hear that a lot of because in France there's not that much of a scene, and a lot of countries like the London scene, the New York scene, the LA scene, and I think the Canada scene, Australia, and Sydney scene—they're massive, aren't they? They're like, oof. yeah. I mean, there's, there's yeah, there's loads of comedians, so you can you can show up, but kind of doesn't matter who you are. I was I was probably lucky because I lived in Australia, so once I had once I kind of established myself in one city, I became an Australian comic, which meant when I traveled, they were like, oh yeah, you do that club over there. So yeah, you can go do a show here. That was fine. But just landing in and going, can I have, do you know who I am? They'd be like, who the fuck are you? And understandably so, who the fuck am I? So I'm not gonna, because if I was running my shows here and somebody landed and went, oh yeah, I'm really big in Finland. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Are you funny? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I do still want to see you do comedy. So but that's that's one of the things in America that's happening. So I spoke to a Boston comic called Casey McNeil, and he says some of these big clubs, when you email them for spots, they ask how many Instagram followers do you have. 
Yeah, because that's all they want. They just want free advertising. They're like, right, you can do 10 minutes, but you need to you need to tell 100,000 people that you're doing this. And you're like, no problem. I've got 100,000 followers, but there's 15 of them in Boston. What good is this to you? Yeah, that's that's but that's what they ask. And it's a bit. Yeah, it's it's it's. Have you gigged in America or North America? You have, haven't you? Yeah, well, Toronto, but um, same again. I was quite lucky over there. I I actually got friends with another kind of Irish comedian who was well established there. So they were like, oh yeah, this Darren's from you know lives here, and I was able to do bits and pieces. But do you know what? I was I was actually working quite a lot in Canada, so I didn't even push that hard when I was over there for doing shows. I was much busier when I was in places like Australia and New Zealand, and then. When I got to Canada, I sort of took a little break. It was just like a really lovely summer. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't think I want to spend this in fucking comedy clubs at night, sweating. So I did less in Canada instead of, instead of pushing on to do more. I did shows, but it was just sort of when, kind of when the notion took me, I was sort of, maybe I, I burnt myself out a little bit trying to do so much. Hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm well impressed. People in London who work full time and then go out and try and do two or three shows a night and you're just zipping around the city. Fucking fair play to you guys if you want to do that because that's, I don't know, I'd get sick of the sound of my own voice. I, I love performing and I love stand-up, but I need time to actually just decompress as well. I work full-time and all that kind of stuff. So that's comedy's comedy's like a pet hobby, which I, I really enjoy. It's, a, it's allowed me to do so much, but I've never, I, I did an interview before where I was like, I've never actually tried to be like a full-time comedian because I've met guys who have done it and it looks fucking exhausting. Oh, I've seen it with them as well. <laughs> Man, I, I, I know I've met loads of really funny people and gig with people that are hilarious, but their lives are a wreck. <laughs> mm. So, you know, you got to be careful. I'm sure you see plenty of that in London. There's people just going around in circles for years. That That's fucking heartbreaking. Well, I mean, it's it's not always the funniest that get... This is not like being funny or anything. This is just stating brutal fact. It's not the funniest that always get ahead. Because you'll see people that are maybe at the small level who are funnier than some of the ones you see on TV. It's just because the ones on TV are super hungry. And because yeah. London, LA, New York are so competitive, it's the ones that are like lions that get ahead. Yeah, no, I get that totally. I mean, I come from, thankfully, the comedy scene here is quite kind of cooperative and, you know, backing each other. So, and then it's sort of, you will get the thing where the cream rises to the top. I'm probably in the middle somewhere where I can, you know, jump up and support anybody or host or, or do whatever. But the guys who do that, they, they are busy. Those dudes are now full time. You know, the guys we went where they were working in call centers or working in fucking retail stores and then doing as many shows as they could. They're getting there. They're getting to the top. Whereas I, I still want time to play football and <laughs> go out for dinner. <laughs> and also, I mean, you can't, you can't gig seven nights a week in a smaller, in a smaller country as well. Belfast city center is empty at 7 PM. So the shows have to happen kind of sporadically during the week. So most nights you'll never have two nights on at the same time. And our, our kind of, our sort of more famous comedy club, The Empire, which uh, Patrick Kilty would have been involved in starting. What a, you would have got guys like Michael Smiley came out of that, the actor. He was a stand-up in the 90s. Um, he he and Patty Kilty would have done that, but they're, they're kind of tied in. They've missed a wee bit of a trick with the locals because they were tied in with a booking agent, I think over in London somewhere, who would just fly acts in. They just fly somebody in. There's two guys here. They do the shows and then they fly out. Whereas that, that kind of meant that they were not kind of helping develop the local guys. So everyone went off and started their own gigs. They're like, well, we can't gig in the main place. So we're going to go do our own shows. And then people started traveling, going to Dublin, 
flying over to, I mean, like Mickey Bartlett from here is a touring comic. He'll be in England most weekends or Scotland. Guy's going to do Edinburgh. We kind of branched out. So when I started, the Empire was the place I wanted to do, but I was able to do it within six months. And then I was like, oh, is that is that the glass ceiling now? What do I do? And then I emigrated the next year. So it didn't really matter. Hmm. And there's, what's, the, what's the relationship with the island scene? Like, because I, I went over there and there's a lot of talk of like, people traveling between the different countries is that right yeah, yeah. well i mean I, I should point out as well i'm one of those um i'm one of those people that thinks it's all one country so it's it's all ireland to me you know that kind of way but it's you'll have it where yeah i, I don't mind like I, I gig all over the place i i open um for a friend of mine a guy called steve timothy he has a, a character piece he does called farmer michael and they would do theater shows all over ireland so i do that with him i would go up and you know sort of host the show for him um and then mc those spots so i would do theaters and well I, I we would call it the south so i would do theaters in the south with them or you know try and nip down to dublin and do you know do a few a few nights just sort of just sort of get out of the city belfast is only 100 miles from dublin so it's not it's not a million miles away if you will you can drive down and do a few spots and then drive up the same night if you've got the day off work the next day or whatever you want to do well do you take the train as well or the yeah, I mean, you can take the train down. You can stay over. It's you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, make a little make a little working holiday out of it. Go down for a few nights, trying to do a few shows, and then come back up. It's it's fun to branch out because there would be a bit more probably because Dublin has a bit more tourism. Although Belfast is getting quite touristy now, but obviously that's all been kicked in the ass with COVID. But hopefully, when it comes back, we'll get um, we'll get people because one of the number one things to do on TripAdvisor because uh, genius idea by one of the guys who was doing. Um, the pavilion which is our open mic night he was saying to people if they were coming in he was like please stick it on TripAdvisor and it ended up being the number one thing to do in Belfast on a Monday night because there's fucking nothing to do on a Monday night but this gig was on so they get people from all over the world coming to it. even though we're only doing open mic we'll have like a pro headliner and uh, people trying new stuff and pros coming in and dropping in doing fives and sevens so it's a real mixed bag of tricks you get people only starting out and it's cool to see and then we get international audiences just kind of wandered in being like oh we checked online this was the thing to do on a monday and we're like yeah come on in it lets us it lets us develop better because we're not just gigging to the other comedians and and the other things that's that's one of the things i noticed in london when i was over i mean you could you could do 50 gigs in a month but you might never talk to an audience member that's scary i know so useless well yeah useless i mean because comedians aren't going to give you anything people people will nearly not as you say, once you get into a more competitive arena, like we, I can do a gig here and the, the other comedians will be sitting at the back. The audience will be there in front of you. And you can hear the other comedians laughing because we're not in any, we're not in any competitive way in a bad way. So people will give you feedback. We, we would meet up and help write and chat to each other probably a bit more. Whereas if you're, I think if you're in a bigger place and you're doing shows to just comedians, they're maybe not going to give you as much, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they, 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 this thing's there. Especially, they would say, if if you're a threat to them, they won't like it. If you if you're funnier than them, people will get a bit funny. And also, they're also going to be if they're better than you, then they will have some sort of. And also, a lot of them, yeah, they're just focused on their set really most of the time before they're gone. They're not really thinking about you. Yeah, that's true as well. I don't I don't think people should take that to heart or or be annoyed about that. I mean. You you want to do as you want to do as many shows as you can to punters because they'll I mean comedy doesn't exist without an audience so and an audience isn't yeah. six other comedians that's 
That's a fucking that's a writing workshop. That's not a gig. Yeah, that's 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 a thing that I I sort of learned a few years ago because it's just so many jokes that you would say to comedians that would work when you do it in front of an audience. But we're, we're very desensitized to a lot of things that audiences are not. And so we'll laugh at things that audiences wouldn't laugh at. Yeah. I think a lot of times as well, uh, I prefer, sometimes I take little, little breaks from stand-up and then, or I'll try and go to a show that I'm not on. That's a, that's, that's a good little one to do as well. Go see a gig, go watch people that are better than you. Don't be annoyed that they're better than you. Just be like, right, that's how to do it. It's... Because it's not, so I've seen people that are brilliant writers, but they've got no fucking stage performance or people who are all charisma, but the writing's not there. So it's trying to find that nice balance. And yeah, and I'd say to any comedians, don't, don't be, I mean, like you're fucking, your ego is a terrible killer. Try not to let it be the thing that drives you. I have to be better than him. There's no point being better than one person. You just have to get better yourself and fucking ignore the noise. That's as, that's as much as you can yes, do. That, that's that's the thing. I think there's, yeah. there's two things that sort of irritate me of comedy. People that get all sort of bitter and say, oh, this person's this or this person's that. And it's a bit like, no, focus on what you're going to do. What did you learn? What did you do wrong that caused that situation? You're not taking any responsibility for what happened. So how do you go around that? How do you learn from that? Or like ones that are so focused on what everyone else is doing. Oh, this comic's better than me. They're this and that. Oh, this comic's crap. Hold on. I thought the whole point of being a comedian is you're supposed to learn how to make audiences laugh, not how to be sort of this or that. This isn't fucking high school. Yeah. And also, this isn't about you. You're, the whole point of the whole point of comedy is you're supposed to make people feel fucking better. Don't, yeah. Like this, a bit of the psychology of comedy is nobody wants somebody to get up on stage and talk about how great they are, how handsome they are, how successful they are. These people have worked all week. They want to get out for a fucking beer and they want to hear about how your <laughs> life, how your life is way worse than theirs. So they can laugh at you and make themselves feel better. And I fucking am happy to do that for people. I'm like, oh, guys. What do you hear what I did and how fucking stupid I am? And then people like that. People appreciate you. That's the guy you want to go for a beer with after. This guy makes me feel good. That's what I want to see. And, and by that way, you also get a free drink as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you get more in the bucket. Oh, yeah, the bucket gigs as well. We, we, I mean, we just charge admission because, and then split the money. But <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. Bucket gigs can actually... I've been in other places where bucket gigs have been more profitable because... People find more value and the, they're not taking any chance on it. And then when they're pleasantly surprised, it's like, there's 20 quid. You're like, fuck, thanks. Yeah. There's twos and fours of it. They, they see like an Edema fringe. If you get a paid show, I mean, it's like 5,000, 10,000 pounds to book it over there. Um, it's a paid show, but you, you know when, when it's full. But with a free show, you never know when it's full. So you have to keep flowering, flowering, flowering and hope that it gets full. With yeah. a paid ticket, you know where you're at. Yeah, I mean, I would say with with Edinburgh being so condensed and getting more corporate, there's there's probably it's probably harder for like the little guy to get better. So as there's more money and more advertising firms, I mean, the Edinburgh Friends is such a fucking such a money maker. I would say to anybody, if you've got five grand to go to Edinburgh, I would say don't take the summer off, and then with your five grand in January and February and March when the weather here is really depressing and freezing cold. Go to Australia and do the Perth Fringe, the Adelaide Fringe. And if you've got a bit of money left, go and do the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Because at least the weather's nice if your gig's shit. So, you know what I mean? 
I, if anyone's like, oh, I saved up five grand to go to Edinburgh, I'm like, fuck me, spend five grand on something that you're going to bring you joy in your life. You know what I mean? Go on holiday. Don't go to Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't I honestly don't think I have the mental toughness for Edinburgh. I've done the festivals in Australia and see when the sun's shining, who gives a shit? Whatever. And I've been very lucky to do well at those festivals and actually make money. But that might be it could be a bit more exotic when you're when you're in Australia. So I would say to anybody, fucking nip over that side. And if you can organize it, I know a lot of people that do that, where they'll fly over and do those three festivals, then they'll go to New Zealand for a weekend, then they'll go back through Asia. So you can make it like a whole traveling holiday. I would fully recommend anyone try that. So that's I so one sentence you're you're saying that you make money in those festivals, you make a profit. Yeah, yes. They're they're very good festivals. Okay, that's well that's the thing that's not really heard of in Edinburgh. It's more of a talk of how much you lose or how how you can how yeah. you can still not I, be out of pocket. I mean it was explained to me, I I chatted to um I mean uh, a brilliant comedian from here who I've already mentioned, Mickey Bartlett. Mickey has been over to Edinburgh quite a few times. And he said, he, the, I think the biggest time he went where he had like uh, a PR company and he had a great venue. He was right in the middle of town. He did all that. And I think he lost like, I think he lost over a thousand pounds. But then he told me one time he just kind of went and winged it and he made money. You know, so it's, you can play the game or, you know, we're over here. But I mean, you could, you could sell it. There's people over there doing shows and they're like, oh, I need to sell out. 20 nights of my 30 night run to pay for this and you're like that's insanity but also you can go to edinburgh and just nip up for a week and just try and pick up as many spots as you can because if you i think if you want to go to edinburgh to make money you're maybe on like that's you're not going to do that someone else has decided who's going to make money you know they're deciding the award for edinburgh fucking two months beforehand so you're not going to do that but what you can do is you can still go and do loads of shows and develop get better do different rooms, do different fucking audiences, do, yeah, go do that. Go on as a week's holiday and just try and book as many open spots as you can, but go watch shows as well. I, I don't think I would have the mental toughness to do a month. I mean, you, you've done Edinburgh, haven't you? So what's that like? Oh, it's, it's well, I watched a lot of shows. It's, it's fun watching the creativity of different things other than stand-up. Yeah, and definitely. The funny thing is, did you find it as well that jokes that you'd see that would normally work don't tend to in your so one thing i found that jokes that i see comedians that would do in london that would kill wouldn't do as well in edinburgh do you think is it more because edinburgh is more it's a full show it's an hour long it's a concept it's not just i'm gonna get up and bang out 20 minutes it's not a club set they are different i mean i've done hour long shows and i've done an hour long show leaves a lot of room for stories and space and you know you can bring them down with you you can you know it's like peaks and troughs of the show it's not just i'm going to get up and trying to do 20 minutes here so maybe that's what you're saying it's kind of weird you're yeah because because shows in edinburgh are an hour long or festival shows and they have a concept so you're telling a story about this thing yeah it's weird it's quite weird maybe it's a maybe it's another psychology point of people are like oh, i want to hear the whole story not just the joke yeah, I, 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 it's just one thing I noticed. I never really quite understood why. Because one thing that went into my head was because they see so much comedy, it t- maybe it takes something real special to surprise them. And if people keep doing the same sort of patterns of pullback reveal, rule of three, all these things, it would take really something to... Well, I mean, you've, you've just described my entire set, so I'm never going to Edinburgh. Fuck that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
but it, it's a sort of thing in Australia as well, though, isn't it? They they they, they get thousands of comedians coming in, thousands of shows. Yeah, so they... you do, I mean, you do that. There's lots of fringe festivals and lots of comedy festivals, and but once you're in, you're usually pretty good, and they're they're very well attended because they're. I mean, Australian cities, like 90% of their population live in five cities. So if you put something on, it's a good chance you get somebody at it. We did, I went over at a friend of mine who's through, like from where I'm from, my little village. He's a comedian, but he didn't start till he moved to Australia. So he and I just went and did a split show because we were like, we're not totally sure about gambling this. So why don't we just kind of half the costs and then we'll half the profits as well. And we, we ended up making, we did a show uh, called The Good, The Bad and The Sunburnt, which was basically just, the Irish experience in Australia. And that was, we were doing half an hour each. It was an hour long show, nice and neat. First person up, does her half hour, introduces the other guy. And then we just swapped who was going on when every night. And we did that in Perth and Adelaide. Um, and yeah, it was it was packed. It was great, great fun. Oof. I better get to Australia then. <laughs> yes, mate. Go and work in your tan like I did. Look at that. Yeah. I'm Asian. I don't need the tan. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things, oh, there's a lot of, what the thing that I want to get at? I've forgotten the question I wanted to ask now. Must have been that good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, yeah, one of the, here it is. One of the things I find in the UK is that each town can sometimes be like its own country, same as in America. And you can't always do your, you, you mentioned before when you're traveling, you didn't have to change your set that much, but there's obviously some things that you need to be aware of. Do you find that in the island scene, like certain cities being rougher than others or certain having a different attitude to others and you have to change it? Like, do you use more dick jokes in certain places or do you use more PC stuff like student towns? Um, I try, I mean, same again, you, you would, there are obviously everyone's got a probably a joke about the there'd be stereotypes about cities as you say each, each city can feel like a different country where you go where people's attitudes are different or you know they, they've been there for so long they've developed their own style and attitude and how they talk so yeah i mean in ireland it's it can be i mean being from northern ireland that's that's nearly like a taboo thing when i go into the republic of ireland they're like oh it's so dangerous up there i'm like well that's we like to play on that because it's it's kind of not yeah, it's getting a little bit more dangerous now but it's it's not what it was like when i was a kid so i'm happy enough so i would play on that whenever i go and do shows somewhere else but yeah it, it depends i mean where i'm where i'm from as well not where i live in belfast where i'm actually from is what would have been seen as quite dangerous in the 70s and 80s so i think that's funny i can play on that even though i'm i'm generally a try and be a, a nice sweet person where I'm from is, was seen as being quite dangerous. So uh, it was it was described as bandit country by the British Army. So that's always good fun. Um, so there's plenty of jokes about that when I, I do stuff about that, and you know when I'm in when I'm in London. So it's uh, it's good fun. Is uh, is there sort of things that different parts of Northern Ireland and Ireland are known for in cities? Different things. So like Cornish pasty in Cornwall. We got London known for all what there. Sort of Cockneys, you got Scousers, Mancunians, the Scousers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in Ireland you you'd have like different things. Um Galway in the West Coast is is it fucking rains all the time, so they're known for their terrible weather, kinda of like Manchester. Um Cork, is it which is is the very far in the south, would be kind of known as people in Cork sort of think that Cork should be 
the capital of Ireland, even though it's right at the bottom. Um, Dublin, we would joke that they're not really Irish anyway, because like they're their own little thing. So, um, and then I mean Belfast or anywhere in Northern Ireland, the scene is probably still playing on the, the stereotypes of it being quite dangerous. Derry's the same. Newry, where I'm from, is right on the border, so we would be kind of you know the smugglers and all that kind of stuff. So. And what have been sort of stories that you've heard from other comics? Because every for each comic that I've had on a podcast, they always have some strange stories. Like one guy says in in South Africa, you could die if you bomb on stage. Um, like you, you must have interesting things that have happened to you or comedians you know whilst gigging in Ireland, Northern Ireland. Uh, yeah, one of my favourite shows I ever did was there's a little there's an island off the coast of a, a town called Ballycastle. So it's a place called Rathlin Island. Rathlin has a hundred people that live there permanently. It's mo- a lot of tourists and there's like a um, RSPB, like a bird sanctuary on the island. They've got puffins. Uh, so you have to get like a little ferry over. Now there's a hundred people on the island, but and there's one pub. Now we, we did a show in the pub and what happens is because the nearest police station is over on the mainland, not on the island, the pub, the pub doesn't close until the people want to go home. So we were told as the comedians, we could drink for free. They were like, well, you guys are providing the entertainment, so you drink for free. Well, kind of, it was very, it was very old school of like Irish people being famous for storytelling where there was no microphone, there was no anything. So we're in this kind of back room, like a hall, and we were talking and it was great fun. And we had, we were chatting to people who were visiting the island or lived there. And it was, it was a really cool gig. And then we started drinking. We were drinking and then the guy was like, oh yeah, you guys drink away. Now, we live in Belfast where the pubs close at, you know, one thirty, two o'clock. So we were expecting that, you know, we'll drink as much as we can until two o'clock, two o'clock comes. We're still drinking. This is after the show. And everyone's like, Oh, great show. The bar's still packed. What they've done is they just dropped the shutters and closed the doors. So if the police across in the mainland have a set of binoculars, it looks like the pub's closed. So we're in there and we were in there till like four in the morning. But I mean, I, you drink knowing when it's going to end. So I was drinking, thinking I was going to stop at two. And then I kept going. And we were getting the ferry off at it at like 7.30 in the morning. Uh, we said to one of the guys, we were like, we got to stop drinking because we have to get up at 7.30 to get the ferry. And this dude was like, what are you worried about? I'm driving the ferry. And he was just beside us in the bar. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was some interesting ones I've done here. I mean, some of the gigs I've done abroad as well were fantastic, but that that's one of my favorites from Ireland stories uh, up in Rathlin Island on the north coast <laughs> oh that was that must you must have had a whale of a time oh mate it was great although I sure enough we got down at 7 30 in the morning and there was our mate on the bridge of the boat waving at us and I was like oh I'm gonna be sick <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it wasn't the first time he'd done it so yeah it was good fun man but um yeah you get to do gigs at all sorts of places you'll do like folk festivals or um we had like little mini comedy festivals here or i mean running my own shows stuff that happens one of the i've had people because we had like a little temporary stage one of my friends fell off the stage at my gig <laughs> and i was like oh god um so yeah he kind of like went down into a little hole in the back and it was disaster but he recovered it quite well fair play to him he just got up grabbed the mic and just completely ignored it <laughs> so it's a perfect sort of opener before you tell your first joke yeah fall off the stage but one of the guys i uh, said that he his nose was bleeding so it just is about his before he was gonna go on stage so he put he was holding it with one hand 
like, whilst he was telling his jokes. And people asked him, did you do it deliberately? And he said, no. But he said that ended up being one of his funniest moments on stage. Yeah, people think it's like some sort of high concept art piece. Oh, he's yeah. literally bleeding on stage. Like, no, he's just fucking bleeding. I mean, I don't, I don't want that guy using my mic. I don't, I don't want that guy giving me the mic after. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, bleeding on stage, my God. <laughs> but has, has there been any sort of what the fuck moments you've seen, like something that have been like, oh my God, what the hell is this? Like, what, I can't believe this has happened at a comedy gig. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, um, hopefully, I mean, it will probably play in the stereotypes of Belfast a little bit, but... If anyone, if anyone ever says to you at a show in Belfast, when I get you outside, I'm going to fucking kill you. That could happen. So we got to be careful. Huh? <laughs> you know, you, you see, you see punters get aggressive. So we've, we've done shows where people will be like, you know, you might be, you might be doing a show to people that used to be paramilitaries, you know, like former members of, you know, UDA, UVF, IRA. You do a lot of sort of community group stuff and you, you might offend the wrong person. So you have to be careful sometimes. But thankfully I haven't. I haven't incurred the wrath of any uh, paramilitaries or men with balaclavas yet, so we'll keep that up, hopefully. <laughs> but that's that's, I mean, that's one of the scary things, isn't it? Because you don't want to be bad, and you also don't want to push it. Because if you do it bad and like they're in the wrong way, it's like boom. Well, I mean, I I think maybe coming from here as well, I have I have a certain disregard for my own safety. I think probably. Growing up here, I mean, I was born in 1985 when this place was fucking on fire. So I, I, I don't care. There's lots of situations in my life where people are like, "Oh, that seems pretty dangerous." I'm like, "Eh, not so bad. Come on." So, I, I will maybe push a little bit extra, or it's um, yeah, fuck it. I've got a real eh, fuck it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see um, what, what, what um, Frankie Boy would do in some of these dodgy areas, like when he starts bringing those jokes out. I would say Frankie Boy would kill. I'd <laughs> say he'd be fine. He'd be he'd be dead on. People would, people from harsher environments probably enjoy a harsher humor. Like here, I mean, Northern Ireland, we have a very gallows humor. We're very can be very dark, but that's okay. We can kind of get away with saying whatever we want. But I mean, there, there there's lines in anything. There's stuff that's funny, and then there's stuff that's mean, and it's finding the line. Mm-hmm. And him and Joe Sudowitz, they, they they go past the sand. They go they they go way past it. Yeah, yeah. That's a Scottish thing as well. That's a black humor too. That's a um you know, real don't care, working class, telling each other shit in the shipyards. You know, I've worked on building sites where people have said stuff to each other that I would never repeat on stage, you know, that kind of thing. So it's you have to be like, Well, what what do people want? What's gonna make them laugh? And if it's uh Comedy should be like a decompression. So if you have to say something nasty to get a good laugh out of somebody, then you, you'll read your room. You'll know your audience. You're not going to do, you know, the 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 Vickers tea party on Sunday and do that material. Or you go to a working man's club and be like, just let fly. Fuck it, say what you want. I've seen it sometimes where someone have done. I remember I ran a couple of gigs with kids in the room and I had a few comics who they, I think they were a bit surprised by it and they didn't know what to do. So they just went, what? they trusted would do well but it all ended up being crude jokes crude sort of I, sex jokes i think with, with that kind of stuff you can if there's kids i mean you can do a show to kids and just have a bit of fun with them and just chat to them i've done that where like gigs um mate used to organize a gig for a youth center where it was like teenagers and we would just 
I would just chat about like school. What do you do? You know, work off them. Oh, well, when I was a kid, this wasn't a thing, you know, all that stuff. But I do shows where there's like kids and adults in the room. You can do a thing where you're talking to the kids and then you can allude stuff to the adults where yeah. you're, you don't have to be crude. You could be a little bit rude where the parents know what you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. And that could be fun where the, the parents are laughing at what the kids don't understand. Do that, but don't, don't do your normal. I don't really, I don't really do much crude stuff either. So it's fine. I'm like, yeah, what do you want me to talk about? Let's do that. <laughs> but that, it was, it was quite a thing. Yeah. I, I, I just didn't know what to do with that. Cause it's a, it's this should yeah I, and also you don't know what to say to them afterwards or to like because you don't want to give advice because when you give feedback people hate that mm. well, i don't mind i i there's been a certain certain amount of people are other comedians i know who i trust and and i think are funny if they give me feedback no problem but if i if i'm doing a show somewhere i don't know and somebody walks up to me and goes Mate, here's what you want to do. I'm like, here's what you want to do. You want to fuck off. That's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I want to ask of you, um, what would you like to plug in a podcast? And um, what has been the biggest thing you've learned on your comedy journey? Things I want to plug in the podcast. All right, probably. Well, I mean, I have, I have uh, two podcasts that I appear on. Uh, one's one's in a little break in this thing so i have an interview podcast called darren matthews and sometimes friends the tagline is the podcast where i speak to people much more interesting than myself i've had comedians artists dancers uh i've got like pro football players on there i've you know i've chatted to kind of real broad spectrum of people which means you don't have to follow the series you can just dip into an episode you find might be interesting so go and check that out darren matthews and sometimes friends it's on all your spotify and uh other it's if you just google me it's on loads of podcast places and then i do another uh podcast called injury time with my good friend jordan robinson which is sort of sports podcast but a bit of comedy in there as well we cover a bit of you know like we'll cover football and uh gaelic sports gaelic football hurling do a bit of like nhl nba nfl so go check that out if you want and the best thing i've learned on my comedy journey try just try and be professional. Uh, one of the best things I ever learned was from like an Australian comic called Chris Franklin. If you see an act and you don't think it's very good and somebody says, what do you think of that guy? Don't say they're shit. That's mean. Just say, oh, it wasn't for me. You can do that. The, the difference that makes of, it uh, wasn't really my thing to stand the, the review in somebody's art form. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know how long they've been doing it. Just be dead on. Stop being so shit to each other. Comedians are really bad at being nice to each other. Yeah. Some of them have like little friends and clicks and like I have mates who do comedy, but we're we're all normal people. Just just try and be supportive and try not to be such a fucking shit to people. Yeah, that's that's a big thing, isn't it? And that that's the real answer to the whole thing. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not funny. If it makes the audience laugh, it's still funny, but you may yeah. not like it. You're you're not the audience. You don't get to decide what's funny. The people sitting there, it's funny. If they don't laugh, it's not funny. That's that that's the review. You don't need to fucking jump in. Okay, that's it. And um, yeah, I just want to say it was a lot of fun having you on the podcast. Thanks, dude. And Much appreciated. Yeah, hopefully see you in in the London scene again soon, or when I'm up in Belfast. Yes, I'm going to annoy you for some shows, and you are more than welcome to come over and do my two shows, and we'll, we can make a whole weekend out of it once you're allowed back on a plane, of course. Of course. Well, I'll, I'll speak to you soon, Darren. Take care, Marvin. See you, bud. Thank you.